We're here, we're queer, and we're already changing the world. Welcome to the Queer Changemakers podcast, where each episode we will have a conversation with an LGBTQ plus changemaker, someone who is out there taking action in the world to make our community and the world a better place. <laughs> Welcome to a new episode of Queer Changemakers. And today we have Harris Eddie Hill. Would you like to give a short introduction about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Hey, thanks so much for having me here today, Justin. Um, so I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm on my fourth business. The other ones are not not going now. Um, I have had a best-selling co-authored book, which was a big surprise. That was pretty cool. That was all about queer business. Um, I had a second co-authored book come out at the beginning of this year which was an anthology and um, it was all about those of us who grew up in an era in the UK where there was a law called section 28 which basically forbid uh, staff at a school talking or mentioning homosexuality mm. and uh, we talked about in this anthology people submitted different pieces in different formats about what it was like to grow up in that era mine was a kind of a sort of storytelling type essay all about how silence is such an effective tool used against minorities um you know taking away people's ability to have language to talk about their issues even amongst themselves because I didn't even have that and a lot of us didn't um and not to mention it left even the kind of sympathetic teachers in a situation where if we were getting bullied, a homophobic bullying and stuff, um, they weren't even allowed to address it because they couldn't mention, you're not allowed to do that. They weren't no. even allowed to say that. So it was kind of in that, in that respect, it was a bit, it was like the wild west and the school I went to was like quite high performing in a single sex school. And um, even then, so I dread to think what it was like in other places um and I've also been um podcasting for a long time my very first podcast was the transsection podcast and that ran for about four seasons and um I'm currently in the planning stages of my next one and it's going to be I'm planning for it to be a big success it's called it's only trauma because uh <laughs> my fourth business that I started this year uh is all about trauma and and healing mostly childhood trauma but you know any trauma really I'm not picky um so yeah th this has become my focus and it took quite a long time like I had a lot of imposter syndrome around it and um eventually I was like do you know what the people that I help need this they're telling me it's helping like that's got to be enough so yeah. that's that's awesome um <laughs> it's only trauma uh yeah I, it rolls off the tongue and yeah, I was having a conversation with someone one time and they were doing some trauma work. And part of me was like, if everyone has trauma, is is trauma human? And we almost got into an argument because I think they heard that I was saying everyone should have trauma so that they can become human instead of <laughs> humans will experience it. Yes. Um, but yeah, so. Would you want to share a little bit about how you got into this specifically, or at least the trauma work? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it was a combination of different things looking back. But so a few things happened. One was that I had my own trauma treated. And after years and years of asking for help, I didn't even know that was possible. Um, since I've had it treated, I don't get flashbacks. I don't get triggered. Like it's, it really is gone. And um, that was a big surprise to me. And it didn't take very long either. Um, my original, I had PTSD and complex PTSD. My PTSD was gone in two hours and my complex PTSD was gone in a matter of months. Mm. And it kind of blew me away. But at the same time, by the time I experienced it, I was like, I get why this works. Like it's not that complicated. It's not magic. I didn't have to join some MLM or donate a kidney or anything like it was just I was like, oh, this is, you know, it was hard. Don't get me wrong. I, I cried a lot. I'm not a graceful crier. There was a lot of snot. Um, but I got, you know, once I got through it, I was like, oh. So it seemed pretty simple. So I went through treatment for PTSD and then a couple of years later, two or three years later, I went through my treatment for complex PTSD. And then the second thing that, ha that happened that was in between those two different treatments, I trained as an NLP practitioner and timeline therapist, which gave me a really good basis for learning how the brain works and listening to what people say and noticing when people say things that it indicates what they believe. And, you know, so kind of being aware of that and then being able to talk to them about what they're saying and what they believe and what they feel being like do you notice that you say this and they're like oh yeah I'm like does that mean you believe this and they're like yes I do and then we say well is that helpful is that a helpful belief do you want to change that how do you feel about it you know so it's it's really interesting um also I'm I'm autistic and ADHD and I just love brains and people and how everyone's different and I just find it just really fascinating so I did that training. Um, I then went traveling. I shut down my shut down my original three businesses, which were in uh, beauty, uh, DEI, and uh, professional house sitting. So I had three very different things. Shut it all down. Went traveling. Had a breakdown. Came home um, with said breakdown. That's when I had my my treatment for my complex PTSD. And once I was back on my feet. I got a job in the NHS, the National Health Service, which is our health, our free point of service uh, healthcare here in the UK. And I worked as a health and wellbeing coach for just over a year. And in that time, I was just working uh, out of GP practices. So I was just seeing like, you know, your everyday people, people from all walks of life. It was in southeast London. Uh, I never lived there. It was like the most insane commute of my life. And I don't miss it. <laughs> but um, whilst I was doing this work in southeast London, it's it's very diverse in London anyway. But that particular area, you had a huge range of people from different kind of um, socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultures, religions, like you name it. I had like people from every kind of background. Some people didn't even speak English. So we did a lot of our work through uh, interpreters that we had on the phone. It was really interesting. And um, off the back of that, every single thing that people were coming to talk to me about, whether that was managing their diabetes or a little bit of stress, anything, everything came back to childhood trauma. Mm. And obviously it was part of like my complex PTSD was all about 
family trauma, intergenerational trauma, um, all of that stuff. And so I could see it from a mile away. And I, I realized that all of the conversations I had in the way that was supporting all of my patients was all to do with childhood trauma, you know, the relationships they'd grown up with, um, if they were from a um, multi sort of ethnicity family like I am, then it would be there might be some stuff in there where they kind of in, like watched the kind of more privileged side of their family treat the less privileged side of their family badly, which is also familiar to me. And just everything that you could think of, I saw it and I was sort of at a point where I was like, I'm really passionate about this. And this ends up being the conversation, childhood trauma. So many people will tell you, oh, my my background and this happened and my, my dad left us or, um, you know, my parents used to get drunk and have these fights and or my mum was in hospital because of my dad or you know, all these different things. And I'd mention the, the phrase childhood trauma and they'd be like, oh, but I don't, I don't have that, do I? And I was like, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, you've described that you get very anxious when people raise their voice and, you know, you're, you're, you don't feel safe enough to say no. You people please a lot because it feels safer to you than actually t saying people to people what you really want. Um, You know, you're either in lots of, dysfunctional relationships like romantic relationships or you avoid them altogether you're hyper independent or get taken advantage of by your friends all the time you know so so yeah I think it is I think it probably is childhood trauma and they're like oh <laughs> so I was ready to specialize I was passionate about it and the NHS weren't ready like the fact that coaches even work in in the NHS um is already like a big deal for them which is fine but I was ready to specialize and do my thing and and make enough money to actually live on because unfortunately the, the pay was not great um especially in sort of the area of England that I live in um on the wage that I was on I couldn't have afforded to even get a studio flat, like a even a shitty one. <laughs> so I was, you know, so I left and I set up my own practice this year and now I help people like one-to-one -one and soon it'll be group stuff. And um, yeah, it's just been really rewarding and watching people overcome stuff fairly quickly because it doesn't take that long. It's complicated. There's skill to it, but it's, you know, people say to me, like, oh, how does it work? Is it magic? And I'm like, honestly, no, it's just you had an emotional experience. You weren't able to process it at the time. So we allow you to kind of emotionally finish that experience or group of experiences. And then it kind of lets the brain resolve the issue. Um, it doesn't do everything like you can't learn to be in a, in a super healthy, beautiful relationship if you're not willing to actually learn in real time with a real person there's no amount of um healing and stuff that will replace the real life experience but it can definitely get you over the really shitty lumps that keep coming up and keep you feeling triggered and stuff so so yeah and I mostly work with you know very sensitive people um queer folks uh neurodivergent people so Thank you for sharing that and and your journey into there. So as a quick question, 
-hmm. when you were at the NHS and you connected with people who experienced trauma, did they have any, was there like a guideline of how to help people through that? Did they even know that it could be helped? Did they think it was part of their job or like, what were you able to do once you realized? I mean, in the NHS, it's obviously like this massive network of, it's one one of the biggest employers in the world, the NHS. And, um, or at least in England. No, no, I can't remember. Anyway, there's a statistic. You can Google it. Um, but it's a network of people who who specialize in all different things. So it, it, it's kind of a bit disjointed at times. And the thing is, like many other uh, healthcare settings across the world, the diagnosis and 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 treatment of trauma at this point in time is very limited. So here in the NHS, first of all, the likelihood that you'll get a diagnosis of PTSD is slim to none. You have to fight very hard and very many years in my experience to get that diagnosis. And secondly, even if you get the diagnosis, most of the time they don't have effective trauma treatment as as you know available on the on the nhs there are some folks now who offer emdr which is absolutely a win but it's not you know you might not get a very long like very many sessions of that mm -hmm. and also i'm sure there are some really skilled folks out there who use emdr to really effectively treat complex trauma but in my experience, it doesn't quite do the full job. So it, I know a lot of folks who've said, oh, you, it really took the edge off for me. It's made it much more manageable, but I still have trauma. Um, and it was only ever really created to treat simple PTSD. And not to mention, out of all of this, actually complex PTSD isn't even in the DSM-5 yet, the diagnostics manual that we use to kind of quantify and identify uh, different mental health and neurological things. So it's really tough. And I feel like if you can get in front of somebody like me, it doesn't have to be me, there's lots of different modalities out there that actually process trauma permanently, then actually it shouldn't take loads of time there's still bits that I find like here and there I'll be like something that I've not come up against in years will trigger me and I'll go oh I didn't know that was there and you have a moment of like oh no <laughs> but then actually it, it's not as bad like you're like oh I, I know I know how to cope with this I know what to do and it's it's not so bad so it's I don't think that you can get rid of complex PTSD in total, not not like you'll, you know, I still think you can find a few bits here and there later when you come up against it. But I think overall, when you've got over the worst kind of lumpy bits, then it's a big relief and you actually get to find out who you are without trauma, like potentially tripping you up all the time, which is weird, but good. Yeah, that that line right there you could find out who you are without your trauma that definitely stands out yeah because yeah i think i think we all have some level of trauma yeah maybe little t big t maybe simple maybe complex um 
that we get to work through and like who would it be who who could I be huh. um so when when you work with people or maybe even before you work with people um what's like a like an obstacle that sometimes may stop people from either wanting to admit they have trauma or like go through a process because I can feel like there's a lot of people who may be letting trauma responses run their life yeah how how do you I don't know what that question is yeah how do you, <laughs> um I get you I get yeah. you so there's a few different things one of them is that like a lot of people feel that in them admitting that they have complex trauma from their childhood they're basically saying that their parents are bad people and that's usually like often actually not the case that your parents are bad people um it's often that you know they didn't have the language to describe what they went through or how they felt and they just did their best with their parenting and it just so happens that a lot of their programming from parenting came from their parents who also traumatized so it's not necessarily an indictment of your parents it's not necessarily saying like they're shit people who really who were really malicious and hurt me um but also I think the flip side of that is that some folks actually do feel that way about their parents you know they might have had a narcissistic parent or emotionally immature parents who caused a lot of grief and pain and actually for them to admit it to even admit that is emotionally difficult to confront um so there's that. And also, I think the very kind one of the most common things that trauma does for you is that it protects you from people who you're suspicious of and you don't know very well, or people you're not 100% sure about, or you don't have like overwhelming evidence that that person is a safe person. And even when you've got that, there's a part of you that's still hypervigilant and still waiting for that person to kind of screw up and let you down. So I think the very nature of having trauma means that it can be difficult to rely on somebody for any kind of help. Um, so in a way, I think for a lot of people, trauma perpetuates itself because in it trying to keep you safe, it actually keeps you isolated and keeps you from exploring the possibilities with a professional um and I think that's that's very difficult to navigate and I have a lot of empathy for that so let's say someone exhibits some of those qualities that you might have mentioned that you mentioned what are what options are out there so one how people could work with you specifically but also let's say someone's dealing with that right they're not quite ready to admit they have trauma and then not quite ready to admit they have trauma to someone else. Um, so I guess two questions in that. What, how can people work with you to overcome, understand some of this? And for someone who's not ready to work with someone, what might they be able to do? I think for somebody who's not ready to even have that discussion or admit it to anybody else, 
but you're thinking about it i i would really recommend i've actually got um audiobook list it's four audiobooks on on my website that i recommend to people um to kind of start to build a framework in their mind of what healthy relationships look like how to put words to what you've been through how to identify all of that like you know and obviously this is only four audiobooks so you're absolutely not going to break the bank hopefully most most folks can afford an audiobook and um yeah it's I think it's useful to feel empowered in your own knowledge of what what healthy relationships look like, what I've been through, what kind of categories of things I've dealt with, because I feel like so much of healing is in coming back to yourself and feeling that you're educated about your own mental health, you know, that somebody else isn't isn't kind of like the like doesn't own your mental health doesn't own your healing doesn't own all of that information actually I feel like it's changing but I feel like we've come from what you know many decades of this idea that the only people who were capable of understanding and dealing with mental health were you know sort of therapists psychiatrists and stuff like that and don't get wrong I've got nothing against them but it's not the only approach and it's not the only help available. And I don't like any system where it promotes this idea that there's an expert and then there's you and you have to kind of stay uninitiated, uninformed and just do as you're told all the time. I don't think there's empowerment there. And I think part of trauma recovery is becoming empowered and knowledgeable and, and, having ownership of your life and your brain and all of those other things so that's what I would suggest to somebody who's not totally ready yet and then for somebody who is is ready uh, whether to work with me or somebody else there's I make a very clear distinction between trauma therapy and trauma processing trauma therapy in my definition of it and in, in, in how I look at it is something that really helps you to become very self-aware might help you to have more self-compassion it it helps you to really grow in your sort of self-awareness and your management of your trauma or, or whatever and trauma processing is the process by which you give your brain and or your body the experience it needs to move forward from that so we understand that like if you've seen the movie inside out with all the little people inside that girl's brain yeah all the different emotions and every time she makes a memory it kind of forms in that in that ball or that you know that sort of orb of light and it's got a memory in each one and the thing and at the end of the day when you go to bed they all get shipped off to the sort of long term memory or whatever to all get sorted out and trauma because it's still so emotionally charged it doesn't get filed away like all the other stuff it stays in the present which is why when it triggers it feels like oh it's happening now even if it was 30 years ago and often that trauma has happened and it's formed because a the emotional charge and the experience of that you weren't in a situation where anybody including yourself had the tools to actually process it like you would anything else 
and B, if it's trauma that is sustained over a long period of time with parents or, you know, abusive partner or some someone like that, it's also changed the way your brain operates in order to keep you safe. So whatever it is that your brain needs, that that that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. So, for example, the work that I do is we do lots of kind of visualizing and not of the actual trauma. And I want to make that really clear because it's my practice and feeling that actually to treat a trauma, you don't trigger it. You need to be regulated. You know, it is emotional, but it shouldn't be triggering. So as an example, uh, when I um, had my original PTSD treated, which I had as a result of sexual trauma as a child, and again in my teens and again in my 20s, what we did was that we went back to that very first time when I was about, I don't know, nine or 10 years old. And the morning after that incident, an adult me had a conversation with little me. And it was this really healing experience. There was so much release. Like I, I couldn't stop crying. It was like all of this stuff came out. And it was a really healing conversation. We kind of dealt with all of that. And then we left little me. We took them away from that memory. We closed the memory. And then we left them in a safe space. And it's quite a simple thing. And and yet it was absolutely like I've since then, I've never been triggered again. Like I've had, um, you know, people that I know, like adults I know in real life, um, be accused and one of them even went to prison for similar similar things and I was able to deal with that as a moral adult not as a victim and that's not a judgment but rather to say that it was such a relief to be able to face a situation like that and still have my wits about me and not be not feel like it was happening to me again um I know other people who have uh, a lot of luck with things like somatics which is all about like connecting to different aspects of your body and kind of like seeing what what feeling is there what energy is there and moving it outwards so that can be really powerful as well so I think that in time uh healthcare systems will incorporate a lot of this stuff but the moment because to me it's so obviously an emotional process and healthcare systems are a very medical and logical one I think it's going to take time for that to kind of come about and in the meantime I think that there's so much available that you can try but it is in the it is in the realm of alternative stuff at the moment because everything's alternative until enough scientists all agree that they like it enough (laughs) (laughs) everything's alternative that sounds it makes a lot of sense (laughs) it makes a lot of sense I I I work with a lot of smart people and like with statistics people so it's like if you can't put a number on it it doesn't exist and yeah how do you measure an emotion and there's definitely no way to compare my emotion to your emotion um right even if I think a joke is like nine out of ten funny you might think it's four out of ten and it's true um I don't know why I go to jokes because it's more fun okay so in our entrepreneurial journeys and life journeys and career journeys we all experience challenges and you know life isn't always Instagram 
Is there one challenge that you've experienced in any of those directions that you would like to share and how you overcame it? Yeah, I think there's been a bit of imposter syndrome, but overall just this this feeling, I think that I don't belong in this space or I don't have the credentials or, you know, all of the reasons why I don't deserve to be in this space or I'm not good enough. And it doesn't matter what I've done. There's often been this, not so much now, but this thing of like, oh, but I'm not this or, you know, I, I'm, I don't have this qualification or I can't speak on this because, and that stuff has never stopped me doing it because luckily I think that the pull of something is so interesting to me over rides those concerns and those sort of apprehensions but it's still there or it was still there and I think I just reached a point where I was like well if people want to work with me and actually what I'm doing is giving them what they need and what they want and they're so happy then like that's got to be enough and you know, I ran an intersectional space for such a long time. And I'm, I think I'm still recovering from this idea of hierarchy. And, you know, that the more pieces of paper someone's got, the better qualified they are, the more deserving they are. And it's just such a load of bullshit. Like, in, um, if I lived in a society or an era where you could be good at something and there was no college there was no certificate I probably would be kind of like a healer or or a spiritual leader within my small community Mm -hmm. you know and the work I did would probably look a bit different and actually I had that role even in my social circle from from when I was a child anyway um although with trauma and codependency and survival uh, skills and coping mechanisms and stuff that was less enjoyable than it is now but I think it's just this idea that actually I don't I haven't met many people like me who a do the job that I do and b identify you know and and have the intersectional identities that I do have um you know I think being neurodivergent as well there's often this idea that you're less than or you're less capable um And also that the way that you are is incompatible with business. So I don't uh, speak to anybody usually during the day before 3 p.m. Because actually my best, I have um, a lot of ADHD is have this thing called delayed sleep phase syndrome. And it's where your circadian rhythms are like there's a big gap. So your brain knows it's dark. And then there's a bit where your brain is ready. It's like, oh, it's time to go to sleep now. My gap of that is like enormous. So I often can't go to sleep before 2 a.m. And then also it also affects once you've woken up, you're technically awake, but your brain is like, I'm not ready yet. So it takes me at least two hours before anyone can speak to me. (laughs) And I'm so happy because I work like I see most people from kind of like 3 p.m. until, you know, oftentimes maybe even nine. And I'm happy to talk to people and deal with them in those hours. But any earlier than that, I'm no good to anyone. I don't like I barely even know what day it is. 
And I used to struggle so much being in employment because they would want me there at like nine or 10 in the morning. And that to me was still almost like the middle of the night, not quite, but yeah, you know, getting there. And um, there was often this feeling that I was just constantly always in trouble for not being able to p- perform like neurotypical people. And um, I think putting myself in a space where actually I'm allowed to work to my strengths. You know, when people say things to me now, it used to bother me, but now because I've embraced it so much, um, you know, if people are, oh, why, why don't you work earlier? And, you know, you could have more of the evening to yourself and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but I, lo- I love doing this and actually I'm happy. Um, so, yeah, I think it's this, this whole idea around kind of like fitting in and being good enough because you don't fit in and realizing that actually people need what what it is you're doing. People need your presence in the world. And actually the way that you deliver that or what you're doing is less important than you. Like you turning up to be yourself is gift enough. And however you choose to do that just has to work for you. I love that something that I also am trying to learn that you know yeah it's hard you know it's like I want to start this business and I want people to work with me but I don't think they'd work with me unless I've already worked with other people but like you have to start somewhere yeah at the end of the day sometimes especially in the coaching space it's not about solving I'm not God I don't have the magic wand (laughs) but you know but being trained you create this space that allows people to find the healing for themselves yeah Um, i love that theme of also empowerment that you said it's like you know what (laughs) my work schedule doesn't matter if it works for me Mm. being empowered to do that for yourself um i think is super helpful because then that inspires more of us to do that and i definitely see how that uh uh the powers that be may not like that so much it's a lot easier when everyone shows up at the same time and no one everyone seems to be the same all good but um I love that you're reclaiming that for yourself and sharing that example so that others can do that for themselves as well where do I go next so right now when it comes to what you're doing if you had a magic wand and it could help some part of your business projects or life what's one wish you make with that magic wand I think I would you know I I've I've had a a decent-ish following for some years um but I think my next thing is really learning to connect with people you know i mostly spend most of my social media time on TikTok now which I'm like mildly obsessed with and um you know I love how how much I learn on there I learn so much on there every day I love the comment sections are usually just absolutely hilarious there's no I don't find so much toxic stuff on there and I I especially think like how the algorithm works for me just brings me lots of just hilarity and interesting things and that's that's kind of my brand so um, I think learning to get really good at video content is my next thing. But again, I have this thing of, of like, 
I feel like being like having a conversation with me over time you start to get it but I don't know how I can condense that like I maybe I'm much better at long form I think that's why I like podcasting so much because it's a long conversation but to kind of cram all of that into like one minute three minutes whatever is um really tricky but I also recognize it's I think it's going to be the once I get the hang of it it's going to be easiest for me in terms of my kind of energy levels of what I'm capable of each day like doing lots of writing and typing and stuff I, I love it and I am a writer um but I don't have the energy for that every day so and I also think it's just a really good way to to connect with people people get your vibe a lot more if you're on video all the time and they connect with you and you're able to disseminate information much better I think so I think that's the next thing but I think I need to sort of make a commitment that I'm going to make a video like at least once a day and just get on with it that's one of those directions I I you know sometimes when you want to do something and you know you want to do it so you avoid doing it and you pretend yeah. you don't yeah that's why that's how I feel about the TikTok and the videos daily because they're not hard but it doesn't mean that I'm like yeah done um and yeah and I do think that is a challenge of how do you the stories you share the ideas you shared so far like I don't know how you would share that in less than a minute like yeah. even if each area was just less than a minute that also is just so deep um and sometimes it's longer is good like a nice pause that helps but like and if you only have 20 seconds or a minute you may not have time for a four second pause okay also you mentioned the thing about the algorithm which i love because i knew uh there was somebody on a board that i sit on and they were talking about tiktok and they were like my my tiktok is all shirtless dudes and people <laughs> and people dancing and i'm like uh you, you you sort of create the algorithm you want to see in the world um and and yeah and there was like that that or that one time you click that weird video and then it's like bam inundated <laughs> yeah uh, so I, I i like that because you're like yeah tiktok for you is fun enjoyable comments it's not offensive or crazy um and it's because that's what you created huh yeah. Yeah, so. I made the mistake once of um there was one night where I was uh, not sober and uh a one of those pimple popping videos came up. Oh. And I was so like <laughs> I was like horizontal. I was so chilled and I just watched it mistakenly. I was like, "Wow, that's really horrible." And then the algorithm was like, "Oh, you like these videos." I was like, "No, no, no." And I had to I spent a few days like constantly being like, "Not interested, not interested." <laughs> I love that. Create the TikTok algorithm you want to see in the world. So now a more fun, well, I don't know if it's fun anymore, but a different question. So queer change makers, sharing stories of queer people doing things out in the world, making a difference, making our world better. So when you think about our world, and we're going to limit it to specifically for, for the LGBTQ plus community, what is like a vision you have for the future of us? So what could be next for us that you would be like, yes, or that you're already creating? 
Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I, I was in the intersectional space for so long. And in the end, I was burnt out from it. And in the end, I was like, the people who want to understand who are, are committed to being good allies or they're part of the community, they don't need me to teach them stuff. Like they're already there. They they don't need to be sold on it. Oh. Um, and yes, I think there are really, you know, viral examples of, you know, particular creators who on one, you know, one time had this long conversation with someone who was so rude to them and managed to turn the conversation around. But I think on average, like that, that's that's the rare that's the minority you've either got people who are sympathetic and get it or people who just are committed to their point of view which is unkind and not loving you as as you know seeing you as just as a valid and beautiful kind of perfectly imperfect expression of the universe and I feel like the more of us who commit to being ourselves loudly when we're safe to do so or in, in an environment that allows that, the more things change. And I think it happens a lot more through us being visible, us being out there. Um, and I'm not talking about necessarily being an influencer or anything. You might not even be much of a person online or even use your Facebook account. Do you know what I mean? Um, but the number of people whose lives have and uh, kind of point of views have changed just because they know me and I'm just honest. And granted, I've got a lot of privilege. So it's not it's not always that, you know, not everyone's in the same situation. They might live in a different country or, you know, have have other kind of um intersecting identities that put them at a higher risk than me but I think if in some way somehow we can learn to take up space in a way that feels good and is safe for us individually the more that things can change I think by us being in contact with other people the more I think that change happens more you know, I I started going to my barbers like, I don't know, over nine years ago. And um I kind of didn't say anything at first. And I was like, this is this is a real kind of gender affirming thing for me. I'm trans mask, um, non-binary, and I was like, I just need a short haircut. And I tried hairdressers and tried to explain what I wanted, and they were like scared to cut my hair short, which was so annoying. Um, I normally normally get a fade done like every three or four weeks, and like I I'm so happy every time I have it done. Um, and I think by about the second or third appointment, I said to my barber, I was like, "So, um, does your you know like would your shop be okay with like having like a trans guy in that I know and some other folks? Like, I'd like to recommend you, but I don't know how you guys feel about that." And they were like, yeah, 100%. Like, we're definitely up for that. We're very open. Like, everyone's welcome. And I was like, okay. And they're like, why Why would you be scared of that? And I was like, well, because oftentimes, if, unless someone's stating it explicitly, we we don't know. We don't know if it's safe. And they were like, oh, okay. 
And literally, like the next week, they put it all over their social media. They're like, everyone's welcome here. This is not just for men or, you know, what, like cis men or whatever. Like everyone, everyone is welcome. If you want to have your hair done by a barber, anyone can come. And it was only by me kind of asking the question. And it's so exhausting. Like, I, I couldn't do that all the time. I'd pick my battles. Like, I'm just like a perpetually exhausted like sloth most of the time. Um, but and then in me kind of continuing that relationship with that company for years, they've become so, you know, it's not perfect. And I don't think they've done any kind of like inclusion training and stuff. But their attitude and how welcoming they are is definitely is definitely up there and I think had I not had the conversation I don't know if anybody else would have done um so you know I think you can do stuff like that anonymously from sort of social media accounts if you want to and I'm not suggesting that we all go around and do that but I think even just to kind of be like I'm here and I kind of want to talk to you or I might want to work with you like are you up for that I think there are a lot of people who are like yes absolutely um you know so i just i feel like the the change is going to happen for us by us doing what we want to do and kind of challenging people a little bit just by being present is you know i didn't engage those people in conversations about politics or anything else all i said was there's people like me in my community who want to use your business is that okay with you like are we welcome and I just turn up and it's become like a normal part of their business. Like they all know me when I walk in there and it's, I think we need more of that. I love that. Having people just be proud and out and just being themselves and like being there to ask that question. Cause in, in a way I love the idea of that question too, because it, it gives them the ability to choose their own way they want to approach things. Um, and like for better or worse, you know, I want the racist person to say they're racist. I want the homophobic person to say they're homophobic because that saves yeah. me. And like you said, if you have a friend, I don't want to tell my friend to go somewhere if it's not going to be good. So if you're not going to do this thing, cool. <laughs> I'm going to find somebody else who does it. And yeah. like in our conversations... I have this thing that I call big city privilege. <laughs> so it's like the city tends to be much more affirming and there tends to be much more options. So it's like, you know, if there's that one bakery that doesn't want to do a cake or a whatever, cool. There might even be a queer bakery that would be even like overjoyed to do the thing and like enjoy and like connect with the community. Yes, if we live in a city, then there are services that specifically cater to us. But for everybody else, like I don't live near a city. Um, yes. Or, you know, I, li I live near towns and stuff, but there isn't the, the, the same diversity is not available. And I think. It's great to use kind of queer owned businesses and services and stuff for us when we can and kind of support our other kind of queer siblings. And that's great. But I think if we want change to happen and integration to happen, and also just because a lot of us don't have those queer options, then we need to, I don't know, I guess infiltration <laughs> is the wrong word. It's, but... In a way, I think, I think it's, it might be the wrong word, 
but it's only society that makes it be the wrong word. Yeah. So it's, it's not also it's also not infiltration. Because I feel like you're already there, right? Yes, you we're already there. I'm gonna go to this place and then go to that barber. It's like, no, no, no. I live here. I want a haircut. This is the closest one to me, or a near one, and that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Because I think sometimes from the outside, people don't always see it that way. People see it as a infiltration. It's they they're trying to change the way we do things instead of being like people in our community <laughs> aren't able to be safe in our spaces. Mm. So is our community truly our community or is our community about just those who we like and those who we don't like or want to understand they should leave? Mm. Like that's more the real, in my mind, that's a more true assessment of what's going on. But I, I see how that message is is hard. <laughs> like, I volunteer with a group called SDA Kinship, and we try to build bridges between the queer community and churches. And mm. I was around the table, and someone had this question, and we were, it was about queer things, this presentation, and like we had lunch in the middle. And someone was like, Why do you, why do, why do y'all LGBTQ people want to come into our church and tell us how to do things differently? And why are we having this conversation? Not why are we having this conversation, but why are you trying to like make us come to your side? you're like trying to shove this down our throat. And I'm like, we're, we're, we're not knocking on the door of your church. We are trying to hold on while you're pushing us out. Like, that's the only reason we're having this conversation. It's not about, <laughs> you need to change. It's like, no, you 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 raised us in this community and said that we belong here, right? Like that we're supposed to be, that we're a part of this, that you love us, right? So like, when we're stopping you from closing the door in our face, that's not, <laughs> that's not us shoving something down your that's not us yeah it's not yeah, us that's such a, yeah it's us just wanting to hold on yeah uh, that's such such an important distinction yeah because we are here already and that's the thing like you know I go shopping in the same supermarket every week and I go to my you know I'm obsessed with going to the cinema because I've got a uh, you know a subscription so I go like all the time you know and every time I use the toilets in there I'm like I'm already here like and I'm I can't be the only one and that's how we change, right? Be here, be queer, change the world. Okay, uh, this has gone in many different directions. And I love it because that's what life is. And as we share our stories, for me at least, it gets inspiring, even even the sad parts of our stories, because we get to grow from them and, and hear from them. I realize some of these questions are not actually rapid fire, but I'm just going to go for it anyway, because <laughs> it's more fun. So uh, it is... October so we're moving into fall coming out of spring or summer and also like the pride season so a question for you is did you have a favorite moment of the summer or pride this year in 2023 I mean I'm a massive introvert and don't tend to go anywhere that where there's crowds um but in terms of The summer I don't know um I mean I did I I was a massive fan of the last uh season of sex education coming out and I just feel like that's so queer and amazing like it's such a good thing and 
I loved it and also was sad that it's it's finishing. Um, so I guess that's the only public thing. Like, I, and I guess personally, um, when I left my job at the NHS, you know, the kind of department or sort of company that I worked for within that um, was so lovely and you know their values are so inclusive but their execution was not great so I felt very proud of myself that I very firmly but kindly left that job um communicating the areas that they needed to work on and that you know if they were going to employ any more sort of trans or non-binary people that they need to have policies and protections in place so that when colleagues are being unkind or microaggression-y and all that sort of thing or if you're sending me to a training that you're telling me is mandatory and they have no idea that I'm there or that I'm coming or to uh, they have no idea how to speak to people like me respectfully then you know I got I, I said you know I got thrown under the bus a lot here so I'm I feel like that was my my own little moment of sort of pride and rebellion of like I deserve better than this nice um, love that and same pride and rebellion sometimes it it becomes super fun but also that rebellion part and like standing up and I feel like all this conversation you talked about empowerment and coming from within so being able to put that out into the world I think is great um okay next question when it comes to self-care do you have like a favorite activity or routine that you like to do to in that self-care direction yeah, I think it's going to the cinema. And I know that's like, so I, I pay like 19 pounds and 40 pence a month and I can go to see as many movies as I want. And I hyper-focus on my business quite a lot and I don't live super close to like loads of my friends. So apart from my family and the few friends that are around, I can spend a lot of time doing work because I want to and like fiddling around with my website and stuff. So um going to the cinema I buy my favorite snacks and sit in the dark where it's illegal to talk to me <laughs> and um yeah just let my brain go somewhere else and 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 you know for sort of somebody else's creation to kind of give me an experience because I feel like I spend a lot of time giving other people good experiences so do you have a, a recent movie that you've seen or one that you just love to watch while we're on the topic of cinema uh, I have to say like I've never picked up a, a comic book in my life but I really love the Marvel stuff I think just because it's such good escapism and it's so it's just fun like there's it's it's a really good blend it's just good it's just good vibes like uh, I went to see Killers of the Flower Moon yesterday um, which is the new Scorsese film. And it was um, all about the Osage nation and how, or people and how, you know, they kind of 
played the the capitalist game and took control of their oil fields and then you know a load of white folks turn up and were like oh you know they're they're powerful they've got loads of money they've got control over all of this so we'll have to be friends with them and then like marry the women so that we get their their land and their oil rights and stuff so um it was as brutal as you might imagine it would be so I don't know if that was a favorite of mine because that was I think is an important story to tell and to and to know but not um not escapism and not easy watching gotcha gotcha okay yeah I uh just saw Dick's the musical okay uh it was way more escapism (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> way, way way more escapism and and some parts complicated but many parts just like okay go be queer make movie <laughs> have fun doing it um i don't know if you've seen it but i i i recommend it for escapism. Well, I'm, unfortunately i'm a really bad queer and i don't like musical theater this so what's good about Compared to other musicals, this one does have music throughout, but not as, it's got a lot more of story things happening and then music things. And the music is just, it's very, uh, uh, I don't want to say wacky, but it's very queer and yeah, you can can turn parts of your brain off and just like, what is going on? But I'm enjoying this. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Come back to life. Where are we at? We're here. Um, okay. My next question: uh, Do you have a joke or something you recently laughed at that that was just that you like to share? I don't enjoy. I know a lot of jokes. I'm trying to remember like a recent one. I've got a staple joke that I can share with you. That is oh, actually right. on my dating profile. Oh, okay. What what do you call an exploding monkey? I don't know. A baboom. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> oh man. Five-year-old me would love that just as much as 35-year-old me does now. <laughs> that's that's the thing I like about a good joke. And it could just expand all the time. Like one of my favorite jokes these days are what did the dog take to show and tell in school? Go on. His butt. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all the dogs do. They smell each other's butts all the time. and they enjoy it. <laughs> It's stupid, but life is fun. It's very uh, silly. Okay. Um, okay. Two two last questions, I think. Um, so Queer to the Makers podcast. Is there someone who is under the queer umbrella uh that inspires you or a queer change maker that you're like, oh, love that what that person does, says, performs? Uh yeah. So a queer person who inspires you. It has to be a loke. Very nice. Yeah, I love the way that they talk about concepts and 
kind of really deconstruct people's kind of negative behavior and it's just so powerful um I've written all my life and it's not often that I wrote poetry but last week I I had a somebody I've known for years who's seen me nearly every week for years misgender me and I was like fuck's sake man and it was still bothering me like days later so I wrote poetry about it that was so you know it, I I think one of the things I'm recovering from in terms of the environment that I grew up in is the idea that you can you know um I'm embracing this idea that you're creative, queer and strong and that all of those can like often do go together and that they're not, um, you know, so writing that poetry, it felt there was a part of me that was like, oh, this is, you know, this is a bit like self-indulgent and this is that and this is that. And I was like, I don't care. Like, I need to do this. I don't care if it's good. I need to do it. It's, it's self-expression. And this is all that's coming to me right now is just the anger and to get it out in this way. And I read it to a friend yesterday and she was like, you need to publish that. So I feel like if if Alok hadn't hadn't really presented me over the years that they've been, um, you know, sort of popular online with this sort of poetry and speaking and, and being strong and all of that stuff, I don't know if I'd have had that thought in that moment to write about it in the way that I did. I appreciate that. I love how people can inspire us to carry that torch, even if we never met them or they're far away. Um, and yeah, and I and I think one of the things that I'm learning, or maybe unlearning, is that feelings are good, right? That anger is good, and that anger pushes you to. That anger can push you to create instead of destroy or bring down. In a place, because I think, like you were saying, with trauma, sometimes it's allowing that feeling to experience, allowing it to go through and complete it. Mm. And maybe writing that poem was just what you needed. And who knows when you post that somewhere or share it publicly, the rest of us may be able to like connect to that too and say, "Oh, I have also been angry, and I hated these experiences, and your experience is not like general." And who knows what else that can create and spin on. Yeah, I'm actually starting to think about how I'm going to put all of this together or like how I'm going to put it out into the world because, yeah, I need, I, yeah, I don't know, haven't decided yet. All right. Well, I, I look forward to, to reading it and experiencing it. Um, okay. So now my last real question is your journey up to where you are now. Um, has there been like a piece of advice or a guiding word of wisdom that has helped you keep going? Yeah, I don't know. I think one of the things that I come back to is that when I was 17, I was finally diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Um, after years of, you know, since childhood, really having that quite badly. And I think it's so interesting when you, you know, most people are complex and even the people that you've grown up with who've had a negative effect on you often have good parts of them too. And when I was 17, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. My dad, of all people, said to me, you need to work out why. 
And I was like, what do you mean? He said, you need to work out why you're anxious and depressed. And I was so angry at that moment. I just wanted to like throw a chair at him. And, you know, throughout my life, if I'm having big emotional stuff, I've got friends and professionals that I go to for that kind of support because they, for me, are the best positioned for that. But in that moment, my dad introduced the idea that if something's wrong, then there might be a cause. And I think that that over over the years, I started to see that actually that's true. That when we're born, we're these kind of uninfluenced, well, fairly uninfluenced little potatoes and that life hasn't happened to us yet you know that there there is sort of some uh you know evidence to say that trauma can be felt kind of genetically up to sort of three generations after the trauma has happened so there's definitely things that influence it but i think the idea that if something's really wrong uh, then i think that suggesting that there actually might be a reason and it's a reason that you could not only find out but also understand and maybe even then do something about is potentially liberating i mean it's not the same with all things um but i think it did introduce this idea to me that actually we can do stuff about things at least to a certain degree and that are the way that we look at things is is so much to do with that when i just two days before i turned 18 i had a paralysis that i suffered on my left side so my left arm didn't work properly and i was in physio for about a year <coughs> excuse me and um i just didn't worry about it i was like if i get better i get better and if i don't then i'll work it out you know um So yeah, I I think I think this I this this sort of attitude of like you can do something about it, you can work it out. It's a puzzle. I think it's not something I would shove in somebody else's face if they were having a really bad day. I think solutions is something that you've got to be ready for and you've got to want yourself. It's not for it's not for me or anybody tell you to look for a solution. But I think it's a good it's a better place to be than than feeling negatively for a long time without change i i appreciate that and i and i do feel like there's any big word currently standing in my mind when i think about this conversation and you it's this word of empowerment lots of times when you talk that's that's where you come back to so i, I love that i thank you for that i thank you for this conversation sharing your story and what you're doing i think you've given me <laughs> you mean a lot of uh, ways to think about empowerment and like how to feel like i could figure it out whether it's the imposter syndrome whether it's traumatic responses whether it's <laughs> uh just just being myself out there in the world so, awesome thank you the, thank you for the time and then i guess the actual last question is, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you? So you can go to my website, which is mooks, which is mxharrishill.com. Uh, all of my social media links and the free, free healing group and all of that stuff is on there. There's loads of 
resources and different bits and pieces. There's a trauma webinar, trauma healing webinar, where I explain about how that works and answered some audience questions and stuff. You can go and get that there as well. So yeah, I've put all of the most useful things I can think of on there for people who need it. Thank you. And I will keep those links in the show notes. And you, you mentioned the book that you were a part of. So when I first started going, I like on this journey, I did get this thriving in business strategies for an LGBTQ entrepreneur. And it's cool to see that uh, your name and face on chapter six. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that's so awesome. Because I, I think I just got this at some point in time. And I was like, queer books business. And then I've had this for like over, maybe over a year now. And um, every so often I just read a story or so. Um, it's cool to meet someone who is a part of that and created awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks again for the conversation. I will have your information on the notes. And I hope that everyone will be able to take something good from this. And uh, Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Queer Changemakers podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mezzetin, and I hope that you're able to learn from what you just heard and think of ways that you yourself can also make change in your community for the better. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.